A I N M E N U Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu Hey everybody, you're listening to Main Menu for the 7th of October 2016. I am your co-host Jason Castingway. This week we bring to you a first in a series of presentations at this year's Microsoft Ignite conference. First we talk with Jeff Bishop who attended and he tells us a little about it and then we get into the first presentation which has to do with strategies for creating inclusive IT environments and inclusive design with regards to accessibility. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Main Menu, everyone. I am Jason Castingway, your co-host, and with me I have Randy Rusnak and Jeff Hello. Bishop. Well, good evening, everyone. Hey, everybody. Today we'd like to talk to you about a recent conference that Microsoft had called Ignite, and Jeff Bishop was an attendee. So, Jeff, tell us all about it. Right. So, Ignite is the uh, big IT conference that Microsoft holds every year, or within that window of time. I think the last one was a little bit over a year ago. And there were 25,000 people there. It was held in Atlanta, Georgia, in their big convention center which was very, very long. And when I asked one of the Microsoft people, how much walking do you think we did today? And this was an average of what we did each day. And he said, yeah, we walked about six miles today. So we went back and forth and back and forth. And and even Paul Thorat and Mary Jo Foley, who many of you will recognize from Windows Weekly, they were there as well. I didn't get to see them, but they were there. And they mentioned exactly the same thing, which is that you know, if you make a mistake and you go to the wrong part of the convention center, it's pretty much a 45-minute walk back. Um, wow. <laughs> so it's, it's <laughs> brutal. It was really, really brutal and uh, really wide open spaces, but pretty much a straight shot. But, you know, you, you have all these people riding up and down on escalators, and it was just loads of fun. They had this big area where they would give us breakfast and uh, lunch, and... In that area, they had these giant screens. They had 12 big screens up, and they had rows of chairs, and you could go and get one of these wireless listening devices, and they would give you headphones, and you could watch all of the sessions if you wanted, theater style. They weren't that comfy, but they were, you know. (laughs) But you could sit down and watch all of them, which made it kind of nice for me and uh, all of the attendees that were with me because we didn't have to run around as much. We ended up doing that, though. But we had a really great time. The highlight of the conference were the three accessibility sessions that Microsoft presented at Ignite, of which I was a speaker at the Thursday session, where we talked about strategizing for inclusive IT environments and inclusive design principles in organizations. And that's what we're going to hear about today. There's two more sessions at Ignite as well. One is about Office 365's roadmap as it relates to accessibility. So you'll hear about Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and all of the features that are coming in these products as it relates to accessibility. And then we're going to geek out a little bit on Main Menu. For those of you in the enterprise space, we don't do this very often. 
But we're going to dive deep into SharePoint. Now, SharePoint is the enterprise server platform that people can put up websites and they can share documents and content with teams of people. This is sort of like Dropbox on steroids, really. And there's also, of course, OneDrive for Business, and I think she'll touch on that a little bit as well. So I'm really excited that Microsoft allowed us to share all this content with Main Menu, and you're going to get it right from the horse's mouth as to what's coming in the next three to six months from Microsoft as it relates to accessibility. It's really great stuff. That is very exciting. There were some other sessions as well. One of the neat ones was this session on Microsoft Outlook. They talked about what's new and coming for Microsoft Outlook. And one of the people that we work with in ACB, JJ, was presenting in this presentation. And it was, you know, pretty typical stuff. A lot of the stuff that I had already heard. And no real mention of accessibility until almost the end where JJ talked about the shared calendaring features that are coming to Outlook. And for those of you that work in businesses and you share calendars with colleagues, you'll know that it's sometimes tedious to look at other people's calendars. Well, coming very soon, Microsoft is going to change all of that, and shared calendars will become individual folders inside of Outlook, which is fantastic. So when I saw JJ the next day, I told him, this is great. I, you know, I don't think this was intended, but the increase in accessibility of just that alone is very, very significant. So there was really a lot of direct and indirect talk about accessibility, and it was really, really neat to see. And then the Team Tactile people. Now, this is a group of MIT students who are developing a camera-based Braille display technology, and we're working on getting them on Main Menu, too. And we saw them at Microsoft Ignite and actually got to walk up to them and talk to them for about 10 or 15 minutes. There are six really young MIT students who are just doing some incredible things centered around Braille and technology. And so you'll have that to look forward to as well. We're going to try to get them on the next few weeks as well. So look forward to that. That's going to be really neat. I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. Yes. That sounds great, Jeff. Sounds really good. Well, thank you, Randy. And we were glad to get home. It was a really long, long week, but uh, lots of exciting things heard about, and you'll hear all about this tonight, as well as in the next couple of weeks, you'll hear more from Microsoft Ignite. Before we start listening to this, let me explain how the stage was set up so that you kind of get a feel as to what it was like being there. Pat Sheehan and I, who are both on the ACB board, were sitting next to each other. And then Lauren, who works as a special ed teacher in Atlanta, Georgia, was sitting to my right. Our moderator was standing at a lectern. I think it was uh, slightly to the left of Pat and forward a bit. And she was at a microphone, and we had microphones attached to our shirts about the center of our chests and a little bit down a little bit, so it picked up our voices really well. Now, you'll notice <laughs> that there's quite a bit of echo on her voice, and the, the moderator's voice. And this makes it a little bit difficult to understand what she is asking us. 
And it was even more difficult when we were on stage because the speakers were ahead of us. So we were a little bit behind the speakers. And all three of us had a little bit of difficulty understanding exactly the questions that were being asked. The good thing about this, though, was that we spent about two hours working together on exactly how the flow of you know, our presentation would go. So we really knew exactly what she was going to ask, but maybe not exactly the words that she may have used. So if you find that she asks a question and that we rephrase it a little bit, you'll now understand why that happened. And we tried to be very consistent about that throughout the presentation. <laughs> it was quite an experience for someone that wears hearing aids, uh, have a little bit of a, of a hearing loss. It made it really challenging to listen to her, but she was fantastic, and she really helped us really get through the meat of what she wanted us to talk about, and very, very professional, just, just a great overall experience, and I'm really thankful to Microsoft for giving me this opportunity. It was probably one of the highlights of my career, to be honest with you. It was fantastic. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, thank you, Jeff, for speaking to us about this conference. Now, let's go on to the presentation. Hi everyone, good afternoon. We're really excited that you're able to join us for this panel discussion. We have three really accomplished and pa passionate panelists. I'm going to start by letting, introducing myself and letting them introduce themselves. My name is Malvika Rivari. I work in office marketing and I focus on accessibility. Some of you might have joined the session yesterday on Office 365 accessibility, and if you couldn't, I really encourage you to watch the replay at 4 p.m. today. This conversation is not about Microsoft accessibility, but it's about customers and, and strategies that they are adopting to make their workplaces more inclusive. Strategies that I hope you will find useful in your organizations as you embark on your accessibility journey. To kick us off, I'd like Pat to introduce himself. Thank you very much. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, I work as the Section 508 coordinator for the department, and I am the director of the Section 508 office within the Department of Veterans Affairs. We have a, a, a very large agency of 350,000 people in our organization, and we serve the veteran. We have 22 million veterans and about 4, point, about 4 million veterans uh, that we serve, and those are our primary customers. Next, we have Jeff. Thank you. My name is Jeff Bishop, and I work at the University of Arizona as an IT accessibility analyst. And we serve approximately 2,300 to 2,400 students, faculty, and staff who have, may have a disability. Uh, my career, I've, been, I've worked as a developer and, and worked in the IT industry for over 30 years and so bring lots of experience in the IT space, both uh, in education as well as in corporate space. Our university is, uh, strives to be a very inclusive environment for everyone that we serve, because everyone is our customer, and we'll be talking a lot about that today. And last but not the least, we have Lauren. Uh, my name is Lauren Pittman. I am a special ed teacher uh, just 45 minutes up the road in Cherokee County Schools. Um, we're a very large district. We have seven high schools, 12 middle schools, and 28 elementary schools. Um, I work mainly with um, our special ed department, 
uh, not only my school, but the schools in the area for accessibility for students. So the structure of this panel discussion will be, I will ask them three questions, and they'll each answer, and then we'll leave time for you to ask them more questions. My first question to them would be, what strategies do their organizations adopt to become more inclusive? So Pat. Thank you very much. I think the strategy starts from the top. And at the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, the secretary and, of course, the CIO who I work for want to put veterans first. It's a veteran-focused organization the Department of Veterans Affairs, we're there to serve veterans. We also have 59,000 uh, people with disabilities that work for the department, and we have over 28,000 that have targeted disabilities. So we're very large, and our job is to implement um, accessibility throughout the department so that the veterans whom we serve have access to products that are accessible and usable by the veterans. Uh, we put that uh, strategy in everything that we develop uh, when we're using um, uh, the uh, IT strategy, the Agile strategy that we have, we incorporate accessibility at the same level as we do security and privacy. So it's baked into everything that we do and it becomes part of the way we do business at the department. Uh, others can chime in as well. Let's keep this flowing like a conversation. Well, from the education standpoint, our district adopted the strategy to start with students first and see what was really gonna be accessible, what was gonna be ease of use for our students, and then we pulled back for our district. I think something in education that happens a lot is people wanna start with, this is really great, but how is it gonna affect your students? So for education, and when you're talking about accessibility, you really have to be student-centered and you also have to make sure that leadership is on the same page, knowing that this is what we're going to use district-wide. It's hard to be accessible in education if each individual school or each individual district is doing their own thing. So the problem is, is we have students that are transient. So when they go from here to here to here, their accessibility and ease of access is not the same. So we look at a student-centered point of view rather than a product point of view. Anything to add, Jim? Yeah, so at, at the University of Arizona, we strive to really make accessibility a core focus across the university. It really started with the CIO and, and filtered down throughout the organization. So in our department that I serve in, we work with students to ensure that material at an academic level is accessible throughout accommodations either by getting material from publishers or producing that material in accessible format for them. And in my role as an IT accessibility analyst, I work across the, the university to ensure that things that are purchased or things that are developed on campus by our software developers that, that serve in, a, in the university because we're, we don't really have centralized IT in our environment, so we have lots of different uh, developers across our campus. So it's really important to engage them to ensure that products, tools, and services, and websites, and website applications are accessible for everyone, both faculty, students, and staff. 
to build on this, I wanted to make you aware that uh, recently Forrester did a study out of Europe sponsored by Microsoft where they studied organizations and the strategies they're adopting to boost accessibility programmatically. And some of these themes you're hearing from Pat, Jeff, and Lauren were reinforced in this study where Forrester found that organizations that are able to get executive buy-in, that, that are able to show some quick wins, showcase impact on human beings, that are able to partner with each other and partner with vendors, as well as learn from each other and, and have strong procurement policies, they were able to succeed in, in implementing accessibility programmatically. And here today, we'll hear some more specific examples about each of these. So the next question to you would be, what, what impact have you seen in your organization, on your customers, employees, when you've started implementing an accessibility strategy? Well, in our university, we uh, really work hard on making sure that accessibility is, a, is really part of our culture. Um, we have blind faculty members, and in my, my prior role at the university, I worked on, on our learning management system. And when I left that team, a new tool was developed. It was a course site request tool. And the tool was developed so to uh, be used in a, in a way that was very visual. You know, you'd click and drag things around to be able to, to, to create, you know, course sites for specific academic courses. And this, because it didn't have keyboard access and it didn't work well with screen readers, was not that accessible. So an example of the work that, that we do is, is we worked with the developers in our um, IT team at the university, and we talked to them about the proper way to implement accessibility and the way to actually make that more accessible. And it turned out that implementing this change was actually quite beneficial for everyone because it was a lot easier for people on mobile devices to be able to use the, the, the tool, and it really offered another way of engagement for you know, everyone, not just those with disabilities. So it was a win-win for everybody. I get to see it every day, um, every day with my students. And what we did was um, used our Office 365 suite, which OneNote is a part of. And a lot of people don't know that OneNote came out um, with a product called the Learning Tools. And the Learning Tools is an accessibility for students with dyslexia with visual impairment, or um, even I've, I've had it help my ADH students. But the impact when you allow accessibility in the classroom can change students' lives. I have a dyslexic student who, when he came to me last year, could only functionally read three words per minute. Through the use of accessible tools and the learning tools and OneNote and things of that nature, he's now up to 35 words per minute. That's what accessibility does for students. It allows them to access their education in a way that they never have been able to before. A lot of times what happens with special education students is there's no way for them to be independent. They're completely reliable on you as the teacher. Um, you know, they struggle to read directions. I have a student who struggles to still identify the word name where he's supposed to write his name. But if we allow them access to technology that is useful and it's relevant to them, 
they're able to leverage that for their own independence. They're able to access their education on their own. And then I know as the teacher that this tool is gonna to be able to follow them from elementary to middle to high school. I no longer have to worry about, well, we have it just in this building, but when he goes to middle school, what's gonna happen? So having those tools available to them, you're letting them access something that they've never been capable of before. And at the department, we have taken our, our strategy and we work it from, right from procurement to make sure that what we're putting together, uh, what we're buying has um, uh, accessibility built into it. So we're holding the requiring officials, the contracting people accountable for accessibility. When products come in that we're working with, we then work with our project managers to incorporate, make sure accessibility is incorporated into the projects that they're working on. So we assign a team of, of, of experts, accessibility experts, to assist those project managers and developers to ensure that they um, are utilizing the tools properly, uh, understand what we mean by accessibility. We don't just throw accessibility at them and expect them to learn it, but we also assist them with training, with tools, with support, and subject matter experts to make it happen. And then at the, at the end of the development process, we have another team that will go in and check the work of the, of the developers and project managers to ensure that accessibility is, has been uh, baked into the product right from the beginning. And that, that is particularly critical Although accessibility is a requirement just like privacy and security that comes out of all the products at the VA, we also wanted to, to uh, uh, make sure and ensure that accessibility is what's being delivered. And uh, so we have a team at the end that can ensure that. And if there are any issues or anomalies, we will work with the uh, developers to ensure that the next version of that product is going to meet accessibility standards. And we do similar things at the university, but we start also at, at the purchasing level, and, and even prior to that, during the RFP process, where we ask very specific questions of the vendors during the RFP process. We ask them, what and how have you ensured that your products or software is accessible? What tools did you use, and what versions of those tools did you use to ensure compliance and accessibility of your, of your product? And then we request a VPAT you know, a volunteer product accessibility template. It's a pretty industry standard template that's used to, to document the accessibility of product. And then we actually don't necessarily trust what they tell us, we verify it. So we ask for access to the site or the software that we will be purchasing and we go and test it. And we verify that, yes, you told us that it's accessible, and we, we, we agree with you, yes, it's accessible. If we find that it's not, then we'll work with the vendor, either prior to purchase or in contract language, to ensure that accessibility is a key factor in the implementation, on the, in the ongoing partnership. Because really, that's what's most important, is that when you're working with vendors, that you, you really consider them a partner of your organization when, when it comes to accessibility and usability of the software and technology that you purchase. Um, when, you, when you think about advocating for accessibility within your orgs, getting that executive buy-in, 
How do you convince others in your orgs to advocate as well? Or have you faced challenges trying to get others to advocate? What do you do to overcome those challenges? I think the key thing is to educate people within your environment, to train them about what accessibility and, and usability really means. So at the university, what we do is we will go out and we will talk to developers and, and people who develop content, and we'll even talk to you know, people that send out emails, you know, it, it, people who, you know, administrative assistants, things like that, because, you know, email communication, that happens a lot, and it needs to be accessible. I can remember when sometimes in our university environment, we would get emails that were sent out pretty widespread, and they would be, you know, not accessible. For example, newsletters is a, is a really good example of that. So we would go to that department and we would say, look, you know, um, we, we would like to talk to you about how you can be more inclusive in the way that you produce your newsletters. And they're, and they're really, really happy to hear this, because they just don't know. They just don't know. And, and, and then, you know, once they're educated about it and, and, and they're doing, you know, their newsletters to be more inclusive, then everyone can read them, whether you're reading them with a screen reader or if you're reading them on your mobile device where you may not be downloading pictures when you're sitting on a bus, you know, or sitting in the park with your kids. I think when you're talking about education, your superintendent or your state board has to have the buy-in that accessibility is the first and most key component to anything that we're going to do. We are in an educational society now where there are more identified special ed students than there are general education students. The landscape has changed. You can no longer just assume that special education is this tiny little portion of your population. That's not how it works anymore. And in order for you to have top-down responsibility and accountability, the teachers themselves also have to understand what it means to advocate for accessibility. A lot of people don't understand what that term means. All they think is, oh, this is gonna be a lot of work. So I've already tapped out. If you approach it from the standpoint of, this is relevant to your student's success, that's where you're gonna get the buy-in. You have to have a human factor to accessibility. Accessibility is a human factor. You can't just say, oh, we're gonna have this available for you because you know, such and such and such. Think about the person that you're advocating for. I mean, there is always an emotional buy-in with accessibility. These are, these are people who rely on these tools for their everyday life. And if you can't um, put a human element into it, then the accessibility portion doesn't really matter. It won't have any relevance to anyone. And we have access, we, we have access needs, particularly for our disabled veterans that have come back from the wars. Uh, they want access to their health records. They want access to their benefits. So ensuring that what we're developing and what we're working on is, is critical to the veterans. Uh, we have veteran service organizations and many times our department goes out and will talk to the veteran uh, service organizations to find out what they think about these products. Uh, are these products, products accessible? Benefits products, health products, are they accessible? And many times the veterans will come back and say they may be accessible, but we'd like them to be simpler so we can use them. So usability is a critical factor. Behind everything that we are developing, whether it's websites or PDF documents, 
web-based applications. There is, uh, there is a, a, a constituent, whether it's a disabled VA employee who is using that, or whether it's a veteran or a disabled veteran. It's important for, for us to be able to keep that in mind to ensure that what we're developing uh, and building and or maintaining can meet the needs of that, of that uh, disability group. And it's not that difficult. One of the things that I think that uh, we found within the federal government is that there is an awful lot of expertise. We have expertise up front here that we're happy to share with you. Uh, within the federal government, there is an awful lot of expertise as far as checklists and, and strategies for implementing that within your organization. So I think one of the strategies that we want to put forward is you don't have to start from scratch. A lot of the accessibility work that has been being done at universities in the federal government uh, within the commercial vendors, they have an awful lot of experience and we're happy to be able to share that with you, whether it's uh, procurement strategies or how do you implement something like this in an agile environment or what do you use for test tools and which ones are usable what strategies should I use that sort of thing we can we, we can share that with you and we're happy to I think that's a great segue to hear what, what would you guys like to hear what challenges do you face in your organization it's a question for the audience where do you want to take this conversation any brave people want to come up to the mic and ask a question? Okay, I, I actually have another question for you all. What specific resources do you, do you recommend someone new to this field leverage? Maybe free resources or someone new to advocating for accessibility, whether it's conferences, newsletters, where do you recommend people get started? Well, I think there's a, a lot of information out there, but when you're looking for, if you're gonna purchase a product, think about the people that come with your product. If you're purchasing a product and the team behind it are not invested in helping to make it successful for your students, your uh, work peers, whatever it is that you're doing, then you're, you're never gonna find any success with that technology. You have to also have buy-in. It's easier for an entire district to have buy-in to one accessible tool so that you know that as students move around the county that they'll be able to have access to it. We have students in our county, we're just 45 minutes up the road. They'll spend six weeks in one school and then they get evicted and then they send six weeks in another and six weeks in another and three months later they come back to us. I know that in my district, because we use Office 365, that the accessibility tools will be there for them no matter where they go in the county. Now, I cannot guarantee that for when they go out of the county, but you have to really think about what you're purchasing too. I mean, I call it the educational Kool-Aid. There is so much cool stuff, but is it relevant to your students? Is it accessible to your students? A lot of the times people see these grandiose programs and they look great and they've got all these cool features, but what about the visually impaired student? Are they gonna be able to access it? You have to really think about your entire population and center it first on your students and then, and then push it out to everybody else. This is great because this kind of feeds exactly into how you wanna handle your projects too. Um, think about your specific need within your organization. All of you are doing things in, in different spaces. 
you know, and, and, and first reach out to your peers and find out what are you doing to solve accessibility for your product, whether you're in a manufacturing company or you're a technology company or you're a multimedia company, it doesn't really matter. The principles are really the same. So the first thing is reach out to your peers. Uh, then reach out and, and talk to them about the technologies that you use as part of your business. If you're talking about web accessibility, there's lots of great resources out there. My favorite one is webaim.org. It's a really great resource that has lots of great content on lots of different key areas, and in including just basic HTML accessibility and, and, and ARIA to, to develop really rich internet-based applications to make them really accessible. That's how Office 365 on the web is doing a lot of their work. And uh, there's other resources as well. Email lists and discussion forums are really key. And, and what, uh, there's, there's forums within the education space as well as others. So I think the key principle, though, is reaching out to your peers and finding out what is vital to your organization to make, to make things more accessible for you. And looking at the toolkits and development strategies that you're using from a technology perspective to meet the needs both from a testing and verification standpoint as well as a development strategy. And I would say, to add on to what Jeff just said, I think utilizing people with disabilities within your organization. Uh, if you have people with disabilities, engage them, talk to them, find out how do they do what they do. Talk to them about how they access the, the, uh, the information that they need, uh, whether they're using office products, uh, whether they're using the web, whether they're going mobile. And the other area that I would, the other thing that I would encourage is form partnerships. You have a disability community out there who has lots of expertise, whether it's blindness organizations that I, I belong to and Jeff belongs to, or you have um, uh, other uh, service organizations out there. There is a world of expertise out there so that you don't have to go it alone and learn. You can learn from people that have been doing this now for 10, 15, 20 years. We've learned from experience what works, what doesn't work, uh, what the good products are. And I think one of the things that has been talked about here is engaging with companies who are going to not only sell you a product, but stand behind that product, ensure that that product has accessibility built in from the ground up, and learn and will teach and support and teach you how to use that. And then turning to uh, disability-based organizations to say, and what have you learned about this? And what are your needs? And what are your successes? And it doesn't stop after you complete your project. It's an ongoing process. You know, Pat and I belong to, and we serve on the board of the American Council of the Blind. And we have been working with Microsoft, providing them lots of great feedback about all of their products, both on the Windows space, as well as Office 365 and other, and other products. In fact, ACB is working right now on implementing Office 365, and we have a number of people who are blind or visually impaired within our organization that work in our offices, and we're, we're putting them right, in, right at front, at first release. So that we're, you know, they're going to be truly eating Microsoft's dog food to really ensure that products and services remain accessible to be able to allow them to, to be, you know, to allow them to be successful in their work. So as you're 
as you've completed a project, as you've completed something, don't stop there. Always seek out feedback and work with your vendors or work with your developers and in, to ensure that future versions of product and you know, th that, they, that they remain accessible. Sometimes what will happen is a new version of something will come out and you may take a, take, take a couple of steps backwards. And you don't want that to happen. So always try to make sure that your development best practices have accessibility in mind and that you verify them by testing, both automated as well as manual testing with accessibility experts. An interesting thing I learned this morning from, from talking to these panelists is that accessibility isn't a binary thing. It's not a yes or a no. And there's, there's nothing as out there that's 100% accessible. And yeah. in, in that kind of scenario, I think Pat, who was the one who said this, how do you, how do you approach accessibility when, when nothing out there is 100% accessible? Accessibility, gaining accessibility is a process. Um, you want to uh, get as much accessibility as you possibly can built in right from the beginning. It's, nothing, it's, it's not an, uh, a strategy that you bolt on at the end. You bake in accessibility at the beginning of the phase, whether we start with procurement, and then you design it into the, into the product. You bring people into the process, as, as, as Jeff and Lauren have said, that knows something about accessibility. You give them the tools, the strategy to make it work and then you test and verify at the end. The goal of the accessibility is to empower the people, all your people, people who are disabled and people who are non-disabled. One of the things we find out is that when you, when you build access into a product, it just makes the product all that much better. Whether you're going to be using a mouse or the keyboard or whatever, you've built in a variety of ways that people can use to do the job and become successful. That is a good product, and that's success. You know, we've been talking a lot about making sure that we do things right from the beginning, but let's briefly talk about, well, what do I do if I have a really large application that I've already deployed? Well, remember, you, you can't eat an elephant all at once. So if this has happened, and you need to improve the usability and accessibility of your product, start with the, the key things that you can do first to get the best bang for your buck. For example, one of the things that we'll tell people at our university is, you know, if you just add alt attributes to things, that, that will go a long, long way to improving the accessibility of your site. Um, so don't think that all hope is lost if you've already deployed something and it's not necessarily accessible. It's, it's all in the way that you handle it going forward. There will be a version two, there will be a version three. So start putting best practices in place as soon as you can and work toward making your products truly more inclusive. That's what's so interesting about this space. It's not just about the product developers or designers or, or the website developers. It, it also applies to all of us in the audience who send emails or make newsletters or, or make presentations. If, if we don't put in the effort to make our presentations accessible, like, like Jeff mentioned, I, I made this presentation and I shared it with him and he uses a screen reader. So I have to put thought into making sure that the presentation I shared with him can actually be read <laughs> by a screen reader. I have images in this deck, I have uh, boxes flying around. So I had to make sure that I'm aware of how to make a presentation accessible. And that's something I think teachers 
employees, everyone needs to think a little bit about. So how do you approach that? How do you make everyone aware that they need to take action to make content accessible? Well, we do that at the university at all levels, but really we focus a lot on faculty. And we talk to them about, you know, when you're putting up those PowerPoint presentations, you really want to make sure that they're accessible so that everyone can read them. So we'll train them and, and we'll hold workshops and talk about the best ways to do that. We'll talk about, you know, if you're creating a PDF document, don't, please don't scan it and just put up an image of, of a book or an image of an article. And, and, and we talk to them about, about strategies to make sure that, that their PDF documents or Word documents or PowerPoints are, are accessible. Because then when they put them up on our learning management system, then they work well for everybody, whether you have a disability or not. You know, they work great on mobile devices and they, they just really work well for everybody. And we will um, actually bring in a core group of teachers per school. So there's a, a set of five teachers in every building that have been trained and they have used and they have tested all of these accessibility products. And then so what happens is they can then within their school be the accessibility leader. There's someone physically in the building that can say, yes, I can help you make this access accessible. Yes, I know how to fix this. Instead of having to wait for somebody at the county office to read the 300 emails in their inbox, there's somebody available right there, right then that can help you. And they're regular classroom teachers. These are not um, support staff. These are special education teachers, general education teachers. We even have our specials teachers, which is um, uh, no, PE, art, and music. One of the specials department has to be trained in accessibility as well, because it's not necessarily just accessibility when talking about screen reading and things. You also think about accessibility for getting down the hallway. How do I participate in PE? How am I supposed to be in music class? Things like that. So if there's somebody in the building that can be a resource right then and there, it helps make your accessibility relevant and quick. And I would say, sort of to wrap up this section, accessibility and usability matters. Uh, we had a, a, an issue come up about a month ago in which we have a, um, a blind veteran who was using the veteran crisis line. There was a portion of that crisis line that didn't work for that veteran. Um, and it was a situation where we went in and, and discovered that after we got word from the disabled veteran that he couldn't use the chat feature. So we were able to go into this application, find out where the issues were, and develop a patch to be able to fix that. Um, being able to use something like the Veterans Crisis Line is critically important for the disabled veterans we serve. And so making, making sure that that is accessible and usable. It was a small feature that the uh, third-party vendor had not known was an issue. As soon as we brought it to their attention, they went in and fixed it, not only in this instance, but in several other ap applications that were being used by this vendor. So being able to communicate, as Jeff said and as Lauren has said, you're not going to get perfect accessibility all the time, but it's being able to engage the vendor, making sure that the vendor is going to be responsive, that they can fix it, is absolutely critical. Um, being able to then have an application for a veteran or, or disabled person that can actually be used in an emergency is absolutely critical. So usability, accessibility matters uh, when it comes down to the individual. And that's who we're trying to empower here, to make sure that if you're disabled, that you have the same access 
comparable access to information and technology that uh, someone who would be non-disabled would have the same access. I think that's one of the themes even within Microsoft when people work on accessibility and they're new to it. I've observed that they get really excited about working on it when they understand the human impact that they're having by working on it, as well as the impact that they're having by not working on it. You know, you hear examples of, uh, unfortunately, people losing their jobs because the environment that they were working in didn't set them up for success, and then you really get inspired to fix that environment really, really quickly and urgently. Other ways I've heard businesses think about, you know, uh, getting excited about investing in accessibility. This is again from the same Forrester study. I've heard uh, business managers actually measure things if, if, if you want to measure quantitatively, although the qualitative aspect of it, the human life impact is really the most powerful way to get people inspired. But other ways I've seen businesses think about uh, measuring their investments in accessibility and the impact that they're having is, is on productivity gains for people, making sure everyone can do things efficiently, whether it's email or accessing websites or just joining meetings, attending meetings. I've also seen some companies uh, measure their talent acquisition and retention strategy. So if you're able to set up your environment for, for success for everyone, regardless of hearing, vision, reading abilities or, or movement abilities, you're able to recruit from a more diverse talent pool and you're able to retain employees as they age and go through life and maybe have a higher occurrence of disability as they go older. Um, the other thing I've, I've seen organizations do is, is think about investing in accessibility upfront because if they don't, they're likely to get sued and, and have to deal with fines and, and the repercussion of bolting it on later. So that's one thing that's, that I've seen work for organizations. Another type of organization I've seen is, is a customer-facing organization get excited about being able to get additional customers because if, if you can set up a website that's accessible, that website can suddenly be used by so many more people and that means you get more business. Um, another thing I've heard someone say is um, my support cost actually reduced because I had an accessible website so people could, could help themselves and then they didn't have to call my call center. So what are some examples, do any of these themes reflect in your organizations or more themes that, that you've seen helps get that flywheel of investment and accessibility spending faster? Well, for me, the productivity of my students increased dramatically. They were able to um, do even something as simple as participate in a group. Most of the time, these students shrink within themselves in a group setting because they can't read the material. Uh, they don't have comparable writing skills. And so they feel that they have no value within a group. Well, when you allow them accessibility, then they're able to be a part of a discussion. They're able to be a part of a project. They're able to do things with others. So not only do you pull in productivity, but you pull in you know, collaboration. And I think the whole word accessibility the big thing to remember is that's a human word. There is a human behind the access that you're allowing. So when you're thinking about, you know, is, is it gonna cost money, is it gonna do? Think about the person behind it who needs that. Think about their own frustrations and their own struggles and really delve into the fact that making something accessible for them has an emotional factor as well as a productivity factor. At the University of Arizona, we implemented PeopleSoft, and we use it in our HR 
area as well as for students. And in, for, for employees, we were able to allow them to turn on features to make things more accessible. And we found through, through our work in our office that we needed to do that for students. So we engaged the developers at the university and said, look, we need, we need to try to make this happen. So we worked for quite a long time to implement this. And now, instead of being a very difficult and, and very tedious process sometimes of, of knowing how to fill out forms or be able to read data in an accessible way that's presented in tables, for example, now our students are able to be a lot more you know, successful and efficient and, and are able to complete their work as far as getting things done in, in their academic space. So it, it's, it's really good. And, and that's what it's all about, is partnering and working together to solve problems and, and coming up with solutions. One of the areas that we've been focused in at the Department of Veterans Affairs has been the migration of information from the PC or the laptop to mobile. And we've put together a, a, a division within our office which focuses on mobile applications, ensuring that the mobile applications that are be, that being developed through the, uh, through the VA uh, are applicable to, to the veterans, but are also accessible to the veterans, whether they, they're using an iOS or an Android device. So then as a veteran goes into a hospital, rather than having to find the kiosk and find where his appointment's going to be, uh, the veteran will be pushed the notification that welcome to the, uh, to the medical center. Uh, the veteran is signed in and then told through his, his device, his personal device that he may be carrying, um, that uh, you are to report here and here and here for your tests. So it's being able to push the information to the veteran, making sure that the veteran uh, can access the information if it's uh, on his mobile device, whether it's a PDF, accessible PDF, or a document, or directions, or that sort of thing, making sure that the information that we had uh, at, on a PC, or was PC-based, uh, is now transferable to your mobile devices. It's, it's a, an exciting transition. I'm very pleased that we have the same accessibility standards for, in, in the mobile arena that we've had in the PC arena. Um, it uh, it, it kind of gives some of our developers fits because many times we won't let applications go through that don't meet accessibility standards. Uh, once they've learned how to incorporate accessibility, whether it's um, on web-based application or mobile applications, it's not that difficult. But it's, it's kind of the changing the mindset that accessibility is, a is part of the business of what we do. It should be something that is baked into the entire federal government uh, and there's a lot, an awful lot of sharing of best practices. We have some at the Department of Veterans Affairs. There are a lot of smart agencies out there that also have very good practices. We don't, um, we don't figure out everything ourselves at the VA. We do an awful lot of sharing. We do an awful lot of stealing of somebody else's uh, checklist or whatever we might need. And we exchange information. And that's how we, we, we move forward together as, a, as an organization. And I think as a community to build access, let's share the information, bring every, everybody up to speed. 
think that's a, a wonderful segue into the last thing I want to co cover with just like a minute left. I want to tell you resources I recommend that, that you look at and then I'll ask the panelists to also tell you resources that they want you to look at when, when you leave this room. So from a Microsoft perspective, I would really like people to just, just learn a little bit more about Office 365 accessibility, how we're approaching building it in, and, and the roadmap that we're offering. So we're enhancing it every month, and every month I think people with disabilities in your organization will find it easier to get things done independently, be connected, and, and do their life's work. You will also find it easier to create accessible content. Um, the other thing, tomorrow we have a deep dive on just SharePoint accessibility. So if you have developers within your organization that leverage SharePoint, it should be interesting for them to learn how, how the SharePoint online team approached building SharePoint in an accessible way and how you can leverage their web paths as you make custom websites, intranet sites within your org. This panel discussion will also be available for you to view on demand and share with others. Uh, we have an accessibility website at Microsoft where we aggregate everything that the product teams are doing and, and share that. Um, there are other resources out here. But I, I'll let uh, the three panelists tell you when you leave the room, is there something you'd like people to look up or go do in just a few seconds? Um, I mean, I think Microsoft um, definitely has the accessibility down. They think about it, they continually update it, and so if you're looking for a product that you already have, think about uh, going to the accessibility site and figuring out what options are available, and that's the easiest place to start. I would just tell you, as a call to action, to bake accessibility into everything that you do. Make it a part of your culture, from your projects and the developer tools that you, that you pick, to your hiring practices, to ensure that you're inclusive in your hiring so that everyone gets a chance and to be successful in their work. That's really the key thing, is to make accessibility and usability part of your culture. And my boss at the Department of Veterans Affairs always says, giddy up, let's go. You've got a lot of people out there that can help you on this journey. Remember who your customer is. Remember that all of your customers are not just able-bodied people. You have customers out there that are disabled, that have needs. There are resources out there to use, and we're happy to uh, give you our best practices and share what we know with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. If anyone has any. And uh, we'll also add the speakers on Twitter when we share out the recording. So if you follow MSFT Enable, we'll, we'll get the speakers hooked up to you there in case you think of questions later. Thank you. Main Menu is a program sponsored by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream and repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can hear it using any internet-connected device, grab it as a podcast, listen using ACB Link for iOS, or call 605-475-8130. If you'd like to email us with questions, comments, or feedback, the address is mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can also give us a shout-out on Twitter at Main Menu. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week.